Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. The great tit is a bird. The great tit is a bird. The great tit is a bird. Hi. You're on a secure line, right? Just checking. You got the files? Her story's full of clues when you listen, right? You didn't think so? Well, I'm uploading more now. Look, it's not that easy. The app doesn't just download her phone all at once. It has to operate in the background. But I have more. Though if you don't want it... <laughs> I knew it. Maybe when you get the files, you'll... Fine, fine. I'll play a little now. Mayaka International Airport is stuffed with security checkpoints. They check your documents before you can even go in the building. They scan you and your stuff before they let you go to the ticket counter. Then you're scanned again before going to the flight gates. Then you're scanned again at your gate. Medina said the airport added the checkpoints so they can send direct flights to Empirica. Whole plane loads of dark-skinned foreigners, so of course, you know, Empirical demand a security circus from every single passenger. A grad student in DeGiant called this summer's research a study circus. They probably ran a gazillion brain scans on every single in situ kid they studied. Professor Sucris and his grad students didn't just set up a bunch of super fancy brain imaging equipment at NCC. They gave each kid a fancy take-home helmet that could scan the kids' brains at home. I wanted to help set up the fancy equipment, but they stuck Medina and me with recruiting kids for the study. Medina was supposed to explain the overall study and its benefits, namely prepaid smartphones, which she did say was a huge improvement over last summer. And I was supposed to answer technical questions, but that got me kind of confused. Dr. Monamie told me that the professor hired me for my electronic skills, but whenever I tried to help, Karin, the head grad student, would say real slow, like I was a toddler. No, Jason is our electronics guy. Don't worry, Renella, we'll use your skills soon, the professor would say. I don't know if they ever got my name right. Though, once when they were setting up the fancy equipment, I heard the professor yelling on the phone something like, We will not demo imprinting. No, TK, it only really works with implants. The DeGiant crew ignored me when I asked what the professor meant. Medina had no idea. Then I found this podcast recorded just before DeGiant left for Mayaka. It didn't exactly answer my questions, but there was something in it. Welcome to the Movers and Makers podcast from the Tahina Institute of Technology. My name is Dr. Vernon Knoll, and we're so happy to have you with us here today. Let's jump right in. Since the peak of the SCARS pandemic, adolescent seizures have skyrocketed around the world, especially in developing countries. To help solve the problem, the Gold Foundation asked the giant to bring the Irish to the tropical nation of Faremia. 
The Giant, for those of you who do not know, is one of Tahina's most high-profile research groups, and the Iris is their new, low-cost, portable brain scanner. In Faremia, the Giant set up Iris helmets at health stations where local doctors scan teenage brains in in situ. In situ is one of the world's largest slums. The DeGiant team will return to in situ this summer with a new version of the iris that just might help teenagers prevent seizures before they happen. I decided to visit DeGiant to learn more. My guest today is Karen Johansson, a student. <coughs> PhD candidate. Uh, yes. PhD candidate, of course. Tell us about the Giants' summer plans. Last year, we could only bring a dozen Iris helmets to Faremia, so we had to limit their use to the lab. This year, with support from the Gold Foundation and Sherpa... Sherpa. Sherpa is the Scientific Humanitarian Emerging Research Projects Agency, part of the President's Defense Innovation Council. <clears throat> We'll bring 1,500 Iris helmets to use in the wild. In the wild? Do you mean working in a developing country with different research laws? Oh, Dr. No, you know that in the wild just means outside of the lab. Though it's true, in countries like Faramia, research laws are less developed. And from 12 helmets last year to 1,500 this year? That's quite a change. Will you use iris for telepathy with your subjects? I prefer the term predictive visualization. Telepathy has too much of a UFO, comic book, cartoon connotation. But you will use the summer to further train your visualization AI. Uh, we're still deciding. We've already trained the iris software on hundreds of people with millions of hours of video. Hmm. So the iris can perform telepathy. No, it can image a person's brain and output a representation, an imprecise representation of what the person is imagining. That sounds like telepathy to me. I really wouldn't call it that. And you're releasing a new model of the iris helmet called the iris stem. Does stem stand for stimulate? <sighs> yes. The iris stem can stimulate the brain at the first sign of a seizure, preventing the seizure. All right. How? The original iris was embedded with infrared and ultrasound sensors and pixel emitters that imaged the brain. The iris stem has a second layer of sensors, ultra-thin graphene electrodes that input the brain's electricity levels and output customized pulses of electrical stimulation that prevents seizures. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll learn how those quote-unquote graphene electrodes work. I guess that's why Karin ordered tens of thousands of recruitment flyers for Medina and me to give out. I took a massive stack of flyers, tried to stuff them in my backpack, and wondered if Insitu even had enough kids for all those flyers. When I slid the backpack straps on, it hurt like hell. My shoulder plaques were still growing, fast, furious, and achy. So when I tried to leave the lab, I was all distracted and tripped on a table stacked with iris stems. 
they went flying, I landed on my face, and got buried by an avalanche of helmets. All the grad students were like, no! Their voices were so synchronized, it was almost funny, but at least they were rushing to help me. That's what I thought at first, but really, they were rushing to the iris stems. Ignoring me, Jason oh so delicately lifted one of the iris stems, which looked almost exactly like a bicycle helmet. He was like, good thing we're not actually using these for safety. He called himself a master's candidate, but he was technically still an undergrad, and he thought he was the only hardware person on the team, because he hadn't seen what I could do. The grad students continued examining each of the other iris stims, redoing each of the device checks they'd finished like just minutes ago. And I was like, don't mind me, I'm just fine over here trying to get up. I had to lean on Medina, and red floor dust was all over my clothes. I pointed to three iris stims and said that they were the only ones that needed repair. When Jason was like, how do you know? I had to improvise, cause Mama, you taught me that I just know is a bad answer. So I was like, because I landed on them. Jason peered inside a broken helmet and seemed satisfied with my answer. The breakages were pretty obvious. He took the three helmets, brought them to his workbench, and flipped the switch on his soldering iron. You would think, Mamai, that one of the most famous research groups at one of the most famous universities wouldn't make equipment that breaks like every other day. I guess that's something I learned this summer. A prototype is a prototype is a prototype, and prototypes break. It doesn't matter whether you're at a public high school like Voldemort High or a private university like Tahina. When the iris stims, the helmet casing was there to protect the fragile electronics, not our fragile heads. Anyway, I told Jason I could help him fix the helmets. And he said, nah, it's cool, but you girls can guinea pig for me real quick. He plopped a newly fixed helmet on himself on Medina, and on me. My hair was so bushy the helmet kept trying to pop off. Jason connected Medina's helmet to his laptop, typed a few keys, and said, Are you thinking about some kind of animal, like a lizard or a newt? Medina nodded. She was watching an elamander right over Jason's shoulder. In Foremia, the electric salamanders look more red than the elamanders where you grew up, Mamai. Maybe it's all that red dust here. Then Karin stomped over and yanked the helmets off Medina's and my heads. She didn't just pull them off, she yanked. And Medina yelped. <laughs> Seriously. We'll do the testing, Karin said. You need to start recruiting. I wanted to know if that was telepathy, but Karin just flapped her hands like we were dogs and she was shooing us. She was like, ask questions later. You have a quota to fill. Medina tried to lift my backpack stuffed with flyers and said, oh, this is heavy. 
She opened the backpack, removed half of the flyers, dropped them in her bag, and said, Let's go. It's Brief Explainer from American Broadcasting Corp. I'm Tyrone Bryant. Today's question is from Mayan and Lucknala, who ask, Is Scars a bioweapon? In a word, Mayan, almost certainly no. How do we know? Weapons are generally devised so that one actor can harm another without harming himself. SCARS has caused a global pandemic, and there are no rational, large-scale actors who have not been harmed by SCARS. This includes nations, regions, states, cities, towns, public and private organizations. To learn more, listen to my upcoming one-hour special, Bioweapons, Then and Now, on the EBC One app. Thanks for your question, Mayan. Until next time, it's Brief Explainer from the EBC. Once we were outside, I handed flyers to local teenagers and, for once, easily ignored their stares at my much lighter brown than their skin, because I was still kind of pissed at the giant students. They didn't even ask if I was okay. Medina pointed out that in the giant, my hurt wouldn't be nearly as terrible as a pile of broken equipment, but she looked me over and asked if I was okay. I closed my eyes and checked how I felt on the inside. And it was weird because I actually felt pretty good. She tapped one of my shoulder plaques and asked if it felt better there. I wondered how she knew so much about my shoulders. So she looked around like she was checking that no one was watching and pulled her sleeve up, showing her own scaly plaque. I was like, wow. Her scales were so evenly spaced. It was like a warm, coppery snake was wrapped all around her shoulder. I ran my finger along the scales and asked, you have these on both shoulders? And your hips and neck? Show me yours, is what she said. And I wanted to, but I found myself hunching my shoulders and crossing my arms, curling into myself the way I always do when I feel freakish. Mine weren't pretty like hers. But she just scoffed and was like, ah, You think these are pretty? Apparently, when her scales came out, they were disgustingly super bloody. So she told me she could totally take it. She was like, show me, show me. So I took a deep breath and rolled my sleeve up to the shoulder. Compared to Medina's, my plaques were way more red and scabbed. They looked like warts, pinpricked with open wounds. But she touched her fingertip to one of my drier plaques. Some of the skin came off, bleh. She asked if she was hurting me, and I said, not really, they're just so gross. They're not gross, she said, lightly running her finger over each bump. I closed my eyes. I couldn't remember if anyone had ever touched my plaques without causing itch or pain. There was a horn buzzard soaring overhead, making a calling sound almost like a crow. 
I opened my eyes and saw the horn buzzard's feather tips splayed out like a silky hand while Medina kept stroking my scales. Her touch felt so good, relaxing my muscles, making me drowsy. I leaned into Medina's palm, let my eyes drift shut, and I thought I heard you. you love slots table games bingo poker room sports betting not to mention a dozen restaurants nightclubs and a brand new 24-hour spa valdemore casino and resort just minutes away from valdemore airport welcome back we missed you it's been too long right and i was seven years old all over again still eager for your goddamn games. You always started in a sing-song voice. Wake up, Ray Ray, it's time to play. You would say, squeezing my little shoulder the way I liked, over and over until I opened my eyes. I felt so cloudy when you woke me up like this. I always wanted to sleep more. I'd blink over and over and look out the car window. That time we were in the parking lot of the casino closest to our house. It had been months since you brought me to this casino, meaning that there had probably been staff turnover, meaning that you could probably walk me through the gaming floor without anyone calling us out. And if no one called us out, we could take a second, slow, careful walk through and watch each spinning wheel. You were teaching me how to strategize our targets. And even though I was getting old enough that I wanted to hate it, I couldn't. Not yet. I still loved it. But you could sense that I wanted to hate it, so you started making offers. I think that day you offered to carry me inside. I'll carry you. You like that, right, baby? And I nodded because you almost never carried me anymore. It was a treat, and you knew it. So, tucked into your arms, I stretched my neck from side to side, and you would say, Cheeky, careful of that crunchy neck. You don't want to hurt your head. Oh, you always knew how to protect my talent. You unbuckled my seatbelt and said, this will be fun. It's been too long, right, Ray Ray? You know what? La -di -da. I think you're hooked. Because you're still on the phone. That's how I know. Why do you need me to upload? You haven't been recording this call? Have I taught you nothing? Fine, go to chickadeeisabird.com. And don't forget to record next time, okay? Goodbye. Goodbye. The great tit is a bird dot com.